The first full night of the NBA is in the books. We'll review some of the biggest stories of that. Sam Amick of The Athletic is our guest, a new weekly guest on Locked on NBA. We'll talk about his story, the Lakers, the Rockets, some theories of the NBA, and go back and forth. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on NBA. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Hello, I'm David Locke, host of the Thursday edition of Locked on NBA. Today, Sam Amick of The Athletic joins us, and I'm super excited to announce before we get going that while everybody else made free agent acquisitions, so did the Locked on Podcast Network. Weekly guests, Sam Amick of The Athletic and Ben Golliver of Sports Illustrated on Locked on NBA. So make sure you subscribe to Locked on NBA on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcatcher you use, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on NBA. And keep an eye out, Sam Amick, Ben Golliver, on every week in the midst of our regular schedule. Monday will still be Josh Lloyd's great local experts, biggest stories, and then we'll place Ben and Sam in throughout the week. Sam will join us today. All right, big night of the NBA last night. We had 11 ball games. I don't want to give the score on all of them, but some interesting notes, if I may. The headliner was Anthony Davis in New Orleans blowing out Houston in Houston. Anthony Davis had 32 and 16. Miritich had 30 and 10. That combination rolled last year. Carmelo Anthony had an inauspicious beginning to his start in Houston, much Ballyhooed, wonder whether he'd be all right coming off the bench, whether he could do things. He went 3 of 10 shooting. He was minus 20 in 27 minutes in that game. Houston allows 131 points to the Pelicans, had a defensive rating of 126. The other top story, the San Antonio Spurs hold on to beat Minnesota 112-108. to The shorthanded Spurs just stunningly find a way. Jimmy Butler hit a three late, and then DeMar DeRozan in his debut for the Spurs came through, nailed a bucket late, and gave the Spurs the 112-108 win uh, despite playing uh, shorthanded without any real point guards. They're able to get it done. Jeff Teague had 27. Carl Anthony Towns played just 22 minutes, took just six shots, took just three in the first half last night. Indiana made two offseason moves that were subtle. They added Doug McDermott and Tyreek Evans. Both of those came through. 14 off the bench for Evans and 12 off the bench for McDermott as they blew out what looked like a hapless Memphis squad. Denver gets a great win in LA. 107-98 to over the Clippers last night. 20 for Harris. 21 for Jokic. Paul Millsap goes 1-7 of seven, but had a big plus in the plus-minus category. In that one, and then the other major storyline of the night, Devin Booker goes off in the fourth quarter. He finishes with 35, 17 in the fourth quarter, 12 and 19, 6 of 10 from three. He and Dondre Ayton combine to lead Phoenix in a blowout win over Dallas. Luka Doncic goes just 5 of 16, 0 of 5 from three, 0 of 2 from the free throw line. Those were the headliners. There were other games that took place as well. Kawhi Leonard made his debut for Toronto and had 24 points and 13 rebounds and looked fabulous in a win over Cleveland. And the Knicks uh, win in Atlanta, 126 one, or win over Atlanta, 126-107, as Trey Young went 5 of 14 in his debut. Sam and I talk about a lot of things NBA. He wrote a great article about Kobe's influence in L.A. We got into a lot of different things involving the Rockets. And here's our conversation on Locked on NBA. 
I mentioned today's show brought to you by The Athletic. Well, how about we bring on one of their lead NBA writers on a loaded staff that just added Michael Lee, has Shams. Sam Amick does great work, and he's going to join us weekly on Locked On NBA. So keep an eye on that. So excited to have Sam joining us every week on the program, and he makes his debut with us on this Thursday edition. Uh, Obviously, we've got one kind of full night, full night of NBA. We don't need to talk about that because I don't think opinions change based on one night. But just from an NBA perspective, storylines that you're watching intently as we go through this opening few weeks of the season, what teams are you watching to make sure you see and try to pick things up from? David, appreciate you having me. Excited to be on here every week with you. Um, the storylines for me, now, now granted, like you alluded to, I've just written about the entire Western Conference, and I talked to a scout breaking down the whole West, so that's kind of where my head is at. I mean, um, the Lakers are front and center, and not just LeBron in the purple and gold, but LeBron in the context of the young core and guys like Ingram and Kuzma and Hart and Lonzo who need to get better, like now, but then getting better in the context of a a veteran-laden group with a bunch of these into those characters with Beasley and Rondo and JaVale McGee and uh, and I'm leaving somebody out, Lance Stevenson. So what is that all going to look like for Luke Walton is a major thing for me. Uh, and how does he navigate the coaching waters with two guys in LeBron and Rondo who are widely considered, you know, essentially the, uh, the top two basketball IQ guys in the NBA potentially. I think they're, they're very interesting. And then to, to bring the scope out, a little farther is it's just the West in general and who's going to get those eight spots. You know, I think it's going to be a more exciting race to seven and eight than even it was last year, which is saying something because Minnesota was getting the best of Denver on the last day. So I think the West is going to be super fascinating. I understand that this is kind of taboo, but like LeBron's played too many minutes. Nobody's ever done this in the history of the game. Nobody's ever had the season he had last year. I got it. At some point, I would think it has to slow down, right? I mean, it, it, can't, right. it can't go forever. And then you're adding a new environment. And frankly, there were some, I mean, that, I don't know. I just, I feel like, and I get why, and I guess I'm just being a contrarian, but nobody's willing to talk about the idea that LeBron might slow down at some point. It, do you think there's any chance that it happens now rather than three years from now? Maybe, and I would probably argue that he might privately be willing to admit that it could be coming. And I say that because, honestly, let's let's assume one major premise here. You know, can we agree that LeBron in Lakerland has a lot of influence and voice on the roster at this point? Yes. Because he chose to go that way. All right, so they constructed the roster in a way that essentially created two safeguards potentially uh, against LeBron slowing down, which is to say, and again, I'm not pretending this is going to work, but their mentality was that they wanted, uh, you know, guys who were high level defensive players on the wing, that is at least what they were going for. And, you know, the Cavs were atrocious defensively. LeBron got exposed, did not have a good defensive year last year. And, And so the idea was to get him help on, that, you know, in that, that area of the game that there's a correlation there between age and, you know, miles and wheels and, and all of the above. The other thing is just playmaking because on the one hand, you want the ball in LeBron's hand as much as possible, but, you know, can, can he do, you know, that kind of a load like he has the last couple of years? So you have Lonzo, you have Rondo, you have Stevenson, 
and, and all of a sudden that was another priority for them. Uh, I feel like he kind of signed off on this roster construction, that, which might not work, obviously, uh, because those are things that uh, he can get some help with now. When when you look at the Lakers, I'm going to give you right, – we're in Vegas, or we're on a roulette table, and you have ten ch- chits, and you can place them anywhere one through ten in the standings. Where are you pl- – move them around. What's your most likely – where are you putting your ten chits on the roulette wheel of the Raider, uh, the Lakers? <laughs> Oh man, uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna show some respect for for one. I'm a sucker. Before I answer that, I'm a sucker for known commodities. I have a very hard time, you know, because almost every time I handicap something that I don't have a body of work to to work from, it doesn't work out well for me when it comes to the prediction game. So I, I just don't know what they're gonna look like. So I'm gonna put all my money on the eight. You know, I, I'm not gonna push. LeBron out of the playoffs because that just feels like a fool's errand. But I'm also not going to overlook the Denver's of the world. And even the Portland, you know, a lot of people are down on Portland. I get it, but they still have a tremendous backcourt and they re-signed Nurkic and, you know, I think they'll be okay. They lost Ed Davis. Zach Collins should be better. Uh, Portland, you know, yes, there was a lot of congestion between the third spot in the West and the ninth spot last year, but they were still the third seed in the West. So uh, there's just a lot of playoff caliber teams, and I think the Lakers might struggle to make sure they're part of that group. If would you, if I let you break the ten up, would you put any on three? Would you put any on four? Uh, I'll put some on four. That's probably. I mean, yeah, the high end. I put it on four because honestly, I, I've got a lot of respect for you know that team. You spend a lot of time around. Uh, I think I think Utah. I've got a body of work. We've got a body of work, and, and I see what they are and. Knock on wood that they uh, stay healthy. Sorry, David had a Harley flying by me there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that Utah is going to be tremendous, and I don't think Houston's taking the kind of step backwards that people think they will. So I'm going Golden State, Houston, Utah, and at that point you got OKC with early injury problems. Uh, you know, San Antonio with injury problems. Minnesota with the Jimmy Butler just debacle. So uh, you know, could the Lakers be better than expected and be the top four, sure. He is Sam Amick. You can get him in the Athletic now. By the way, we got a special deal for you. Go to theathletic.com slash locked on NBA, and that code will get you 40% off, just $2.99 a month. It is case sensitive, theathletic.com slash locked on NBA. If you don't know what the Athletic is, it's a subscription based publisher available to you online, on your app, on the web. Smarter sports coverage for the diehard fan. No ads, no pop ups, no audio play videos. A neat series on Gordon Hayward's return. Readers subscribe and get in-depth articles written by elite-level journalists. The lineup is amazing from, as I mentioned, Sam himself to Michael Lee to Shams to Zach Harper, and then your favorite team has a writer as well. Go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnNBA to get $2.99 a month. That's theathletic.com slash LockedOnNBA. Continuing on our conversation, you mentioned it a moment ago, Sam. The Blazers lose Ed Davis. They lose Shabazz Napier. They lose Pat Connaughton. 
unless you're the diehard fan that subscribed to The Athletic, you probably don't care about those guys. The Rockets lose Luke Bamute. They lose Trevor Ariza. And again, unless you're an Athletic subscriber, you probably don't care about those guys. But how much, <laughs> but how much does it matter? Like, I think that's a huge question this year of how much these guys actually do matter. I think that it does matter a lot. And I think the coaches in this league consistently marvel at how the mainstream media, and I'm guilty of this for sure, you know, and, and the casual fan just simply don't assign enough value to players like that. So I'll start with the Rockets because I spent a couple of days with them last week and had lunch with Mike Tony. Uh, talked to Chris Paul for a little while about the way he sees is that, you know, role players uh, who are 100% all in and, and on a defined role uh, are incredibly key. So you would think that would be leading him to say, what the heck are we going to do without last night about how they see the Rockets? Defense? And if that, you know, if that's going to be the storyline, then Michael and James are going to have to show up. And because uh, other than that, Trevor across the league was considered a guy his versatility and the way he defended the ball and the way specifically Kevin Durant having a hard time getting open looks. Um, you know, that question of who's going to guard KD when you get to that point, that's big. But they feel like, you know, P.J. Tucker getting even better, and they are so big on him right now, it's not even funny. Uh, Clint Capella evolving. Chris Paul hopefully being healthy, being the head of that snake. You know, they feel like they can fill in those gaps. The, the other extension of that, though, because even if you're buying that, you then got to raise the question of uh, Carmelo Anthony, I, I do think, can relieve some pressure offensively when it comes to Chris and James essentially getting tired. Every year, you know, Mike D'Antoni talks about James getting tired, and that's why Chris Paul was going to help. Well, Chris is not a spring chicken, and so now the, the new narrative is that Melo is going to help both those guys just kind of, you know, assist with the, the getting buckets category. But on the other end, can you play James and Melo together at all because of the defensive concerns. How do you hide Melo when you're switching one through five after we saw what the Jazz did to that last year in the series against OKC? Those are you know pretty major questions. All right. So I the last parts I agree with. Uh, we first covered event. We, we knew each other when. You broke in what year with the Sacramento Bee? I think we met in 04. I'm going to say 04. So it's only been 14 years. Then I probably yes. can't fully call bullshit on one thing you just said. <laughs> Let's hear it. Why does anyone no, just call it? W- why does anyone think Carmelo is a good offensive player anymore? That's fair. Uh, well, I told you I was giving you the Rockets. Okay. Spin. I All mean, right. you know, that's the framing. I, I now this is the fun part of my job. I can go I can go get the framing and then I can All right, so and you, then we can see what the hell happens. All right, I mean, are you, are you, know, are I, you buying the framing at all? Uh I guess a little bit. I mean, yeah, the numbers were atrocious last year. I was around the Thunder enough to know that the fit was tricky, and Russell is still one of the toughest superstars to play with. I'm, you know, basketball-wise, I'm still surprised that Paul George stayed for that reason. You know, it's, it's a lot of your turn, my turn all the time. And, you know, Carmelo playing with Mike Tony. With the, you know, I mean, listen, they have so much ISO with that offense. I'm not trying to pretend this is, you know, the, the motion warriors or even the Phoenix Suns of yesteryear. But, you know, I do think it's a healthier offensive landscape. And I think that Melo, in, in spots, 
can still break a guy down. You know, and the, the now listen, the mid-range thing is the other element here. I mean, that's he's the master of mid-range, and they don't want to shoot anything from you know from that uh, part of the court. So we'll see. I mean, it's 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 a question. The the guy is not getting any younger himself, and he's also got to be humbled. You know, I uh, to give a little preview of this Rockets piece that I'm going to write. You know, Mike D'Antoni talked about Bob McAdoo and uh, back in the day when he ended up coming off the bench late in his career and how to this day it, it pisses him off. And it's it's really something that is hard for kind of all-star Hall of Fame players to, to deal with. And he was, you know, telling old Bob McAdoo stories in the context of Carmelo Anthony to try to get his head right. And, and that's going to be another thing they got to monitor too. Sam Amick is our guest. He'll be joining us every single week on one of the Locked On NBA shows. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On NBA on your Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify, and then make sure you're aware of when Sam is uh, joining us. A lot of exciting stuff to have Sam uh, available and with us. Um, all right, continuing on this storyline, I had a long conversation with Kevin Pelton the other night of ESPN, not to mention a competitor, but fair enough. Um, And he's kind of the numbers guru on some of the aging things. And it was really interesting. What he told me is that we still don't quite understand how badly people age. The guys just fall off the map. Like, it just happens. And I was thinking about, like, we had Joe Johnson in Utah. He won playoff games for us, and the next year couldn't play. And now is out of the league. Like, I, we don't think about this a lot, but the I don't know. I'm not saying it's Carmelo and maybe we're talking about LeBron, like, but I think that that's part of this, that this aging process that these guys hit in this so athletic of a game right now is just brutal, and I wonder if it actually happened to Carmelo last year. It may have, and we're about to find out, and here's a, a more frightening prospect for Rockets fans. You know, listen, it's not personal, right? Like, I, I'm not wishing ill on anybody, but... Chris Paul's got a big year ahead of him. You know, when Chris was healthy last year, he was tremendous. But Chris is around the same age as Melo. And, you know, I, I, you know, talking to John Livingston last night, I brought up the idea that you could argue that this is the Rockets' one shot right now, you know, because um, of Chris's age and Chris's health problems. You know, I mean, you can say what you will or say what you want about the what if scenario in the conference finals. And, you know, but the bottom line is he couldn't stay healthy and get to the finish line. So, yeah, I mean, you see it, you know, even, you know, that, that story that I mentioned, David, talking to the scout, uh, they brought up Marcus all. And in that same context, the scout had said, you know what? I, he, just, he looks like he's around that same age and starting to get older. And that's a big, who's going to decline in a, in a different kind of way. I mean, that's what makes what LeBron even more amazing and, you know, you're right. You know, he was out there being ISO Joe and doing good things one minute. And next thing you know, he's essentially a, a relevant NBA player. Uh, speaking of Memphis, their pick is one through eight protected. Otherwise, they lose their first round pick. Yep. What do you think the chances are they pull the plug and Marcus Ole and Mike Conley are on a different team fast? Um, so we're, we're spitballing here and I feel like I always have to qualify. I don't, I have not done any digging anytime recently on that front. So the organizational has always been Mark and Mike or our guys. And even to the point last year where it was surprising to people around the league that there wasn't more 
substantive conversation about moving Mark because it got so bad. Uh, could I see, like, based on the way these things typically go, could I see it this year? Absolutely, because you can't really, if you're, if you're the Grizzlies, you can't feel all that good anymore about that idea that with Mike and Mark, we can get near 50 wins. Because first of all, that's probably not true anymore. You know, Jaron Jackson's supposed to be really good. He's had a good preseason. You know, some people think he's even rookie of the year candidate. But, you know, I don't think they have enough in the chamber to keep up with the teams in the West. And they might be on the outside looking in in the playoffs. And so if they are falling back in the pack halfway through the year, you know, could I see Chris Wallace in that group making something happen? I, I think you'd have to. You know, they've also they've always had to to kind of analyze the business component that comes with Mike and Mark because they're so popular locally and they have such a hard time not only selling tickets but just selling merchandise and and keeping the uh, the bottom line good enough to keep things rolling that they they can't afford to let go of talents like that and personalities like that who've been such good stewards in the community but there's got to be a threshold there and if they're not you know if they're clearly not good enough to keep up in the West, then I could see something happening. Well, I, I got a way to solve their business problems, but they wouldn't, people in Memphis wouldn't like my answer to that. Sam Amick yeah, is with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam Amick is with us. We'll continue how Kobe Bryant is still impacting the league and a deep thought or two from this nutty basketball guy and see what a smarter guy thinks. That's all coming up on Locked on NBA. You wrote an amazing piece about the Lady of Dragons or something of the sort on The Athletic. Uh, in regards to Jeannie, Jeannie Buss uh, overhauling the Lakers, I was taken by how involved Kobe was and how much he, he is still a, just a force inside that organization. He is, man. I got to be honest, David. It was a fun story to report, a fun story to write. And to your point, it's like I just knew – and have this sense that, you know, of course Kobe's involved. Of course Kobe's got a voice. And I would poke around and ask different people, even like I remember Rod Palenka and I talking about it, the Lakers GM, longtime agent for Kobe all the way through his career. And, like, I sat down with Rob last year and had asked, like, how often does Kobe weigh in on things? And, you know, and nobody really wanted to pull the curtain back. And so I end up connecting with Jeannie, and we're sitting in her office and, and – just talking all things Lakers. I'm trying to get kind of the TikTok on the summer and free agency and how they got LeBron. And she just kind of mentioned in passing that, you know, well, I, I went down to see Kobe in Newport Beach uh, back when I was trying to figure out what to do with the front office situation. And, and to give the listeners a quick recap, you had Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak at the time running things. Jim had given his self-imposed timeline of saying uh, a couple of years back that he would walk away if, they weren't back to title contention. And, and Jim and Jeannie had a well-chronicled kind of distance between them as siblings. They just did not have much rapport at all, a lot of disconnect there. So she said that she went to see Kobe, and the bottom line is that she didn't, at the time anyway, didn't feel like she had the nerve to make this move and to, you know, to overhaul the front office, to fire your brother, to fire the – the guy in Mitch Kupchak, you know, say what you will about Mitch. He was part of a lot of championship teams. And so uh, Kobe just flat out told her that, that essentially that if you've decided that these are not your allies and, and, and that would probably make them somewhat closer to your enemies, then, then your enemies will always stab you in the back if you go halfway. you got to go all the way. 
you got to, you know, just have a clean slate. And then more importantly, that Kobe's perspective as a superstar was that there's no way LeBron's coming to L.A. with this franchise, with this kind of nonsense going on in-house. He's a smart guy. He's going to snuff it out, and he's not going to want any part of it. And obviously, Sam, uh, great story. And Is there anything else in that story that, that jumped out to you that you wa- would want to highlight? Well, honestly, I think the story doesn't end. I mean, it's, it's, it'll be interesting going forward to see, you know, how Kobe's influence continues, how Jeannie and LeBron's relationship evolves. Uh, you know, Jeannie and I talked about the idea that, that LeBron comes in at 33 years old, patient, and not demanding that they trade any of these young players. And that kind of goes to what you talked about earlier. It's counterintuitive because you would think he'd be hitting the panic button and saying, you know, let's go. Like, I'm passing my time, even though I'm playing at the best of my career. And, and so, you know, I'm dying to see that, that somebody come join them this summer. Uh, there's, I think there's a chance that they could maybe just, you know, strike out, which sounds crazy. But if you start talking about which superstars might come, I'm not ready to say for sure that anybody's coming. So, you know, that'll be for us to see next summer. But, you know, we're going to be talking about the Lakers and, and Lakerland with Jeannie at the top, I think, all season long. All right. So how do you exp- – uh, give me a little reporter etiquette here. You, you yep. We live in this league that has murmurs, right? Over coffee there's talk, over dinner there's ca- talk. There's all those little talks. So if I've heard a theory on LeBron that's one of those talks, how do I present it without making it sound like it's factual? This is something you've heard? Yeah, and I want to ask you about it. I need to know how to present it. Do I just present it like saying this is something like that? Is that good enough that people understand you that I have, I have no – yeah. All right, so there's my qualification. I, I've heard yeah. his whole entire free agent move was about one day owning a franchise and he knew it was the Lakers. Wow, interesting. I mean, I haven't heard that. Um, I don't have anything to push back against it in terms of, you know, when Jerry Buss passed away, he, this part I know, you know, it, it was a lot of heavy lifting for him to, to set up his will in a way. And, and when you're talking about the, the tax component and, and all the legalities that come with that kind of a property uh, in order to allow for this kind of a transition. But, you know, I, I've never, I don't know 100% if, if, if Janie wants to have this until her dying day, and hopefully that's a long ways down the line. Um, and with, more importantly, I do have, I can confidently tell you that with LeBron and Cleveland, there was always, you know, rumors about the Cavs and Dan Gilbert, and the idea that behind the scenes, he was not about to tell LeBron that, that he was going to, you know, kind of, get that runway ready for him when it comes to ownership. And the ownership thing has been kind of a rumbling around the league for quite some time. And it look at what LeBron's doing off the court right now. And it doesn't take a lot to figure out that his ambition is at an incredibly high level. Um, you know, he resonates, or I should say magic resonates with him because of what magic's been able to accomplish as a businessman. And, you know, we know how LeBron sees Michael Jordan. And I certainly could see LeBron just trying to take you know, that part of his profile to a whole different level when his playing days are over. All right, two things, Sam, that I'm seeing in the league. I think I'm tar- I think I'm biased because I am in you know around us and we play a little differently. All I'm hearing about from anybody is pace, 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 pace. There's no correlation between pace and good offensive efficiency, and there's no correlation right. between pace and winning. In fact, watching the game. Right. 
watching the games on Wednesday night, you know what I saw? I saw so much pace that I saw really good players do wind sprints up and down the floor four times without touching the ball. Are you, uh, David, are you in front of a computer right now? Uh, yeah. Because I'll, I'll answer, but I'm curious. Look up the Nuggets pace for me from last year. And I want to hit on what you're talking, because I agree with you. Uh, you know, the, the Lakers, for example, they talk about pace a lot. And part of that is the business entertainment side. I think they, they know they're going to sell tickets having the 2018 version of Showtime. You know, that's how they're going to frame that conversation. Uh, but the, the reason I ask about the Nuggets is when Mike Malone was in Sacramento, one of the main sticking points between him and owner Vivek Ranadive and at the time Pete D'Alessandro in that front office was, you know, the disagreement over pace. And Mike was trying to slow it down and didn't see the point. And especially when you had a guy like DeMarcus Cousins who doesn't get up and down the floor very well. And, and that was a real thing. And, you know, guess what? Their offense was atrocious uh, when they were fast. I mean, you know, those Kings teams were bad anyway. Uh, these Nuggets are off the charts good offensively. And I don't – I didn't want to pretend to know exactly where they fell on the pace side. Uh, have I stalled long enough to, to have, let you get Se- to that number? Seven, they were 17th last year, middle of the pack. Yeah. And they were – you know, I mean, you, you got Jokic, you know, whether at the high post or on the block – you know, everything running through him, you know, a lot of half-court sets. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Jazz are another good example where obviously the defensive side of the ball is their strong suit. But, you know, you, you have a system and you you do give guys a chance to attack the rim in a creative kind of way as opposed to breakneck speed all the time. I mean, there's there's a time and place for it. I just think it's a matter of, of deciding uh, when to go and when to pull it back. Top 10 pace teams in the NBA last year. Top 11 pace teams in the NBA last year had five of the worst offenses in the league. Right. And had six of the t- right. had seven of the 10 worst and had three teams that were in the top 9. New Orleans, well, Golden remember, State and and the Clippers. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I mean, there's just no well, cor- the correlation. Before uh before Philly got through the process and got Embiid healthy and Ben Simmons rolling, you know, those awful Brett Brown teams were, were always at the top of the league in pace and they were, they were terrible. So it's a, it's a talking point. Um, you know, I think we definitely buy into it too much and you got to have the personnel and you got to use it. A lot of times I feel like pace gets discussed to cloak or disguise, you know, deficiencies in that team's roster, the personnel and, and, you know, or more of the system that the coaches bring to the table, because you know, a lot of times pace is what you do when you just don't have the you know the, the right mix of guys to be able to run a, a high level offense. All right, here's my other one, and then we just I want these on the record to start the season, and we can discuss it throughout. Everyone's talking about switching, right? Like that's yep. the, it, because Houston and Golden State switched, unless Draymond Green and Clint Capella are on everyone else's teams. It's not going to work. It's going to be just like three years ago when everyone tried to emulate the Warriors and basically, in my opinion, kind of made fools of themselves because they didn't have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson shooting. I, I, think it's, I think everyone in the league trying to switch everything is going to be a disaster, and teams are going to be terrible defensively. You, um, I looked something up yesterday 
and I keep going back to this rocket story that I need to actually uh, sit down and write later today and tomorrow. But were you aware that the Rockets, so they ended up seventh in the league in defensive rating last year. But uh, one thing that D'Antoni pointed out to me was, he goes, all right, you say seventh. He says, I say third. And if you go back and look, the last 45 games of the year, last uh, January 7th on, I believe, they were third in the league in defensive rating. And his point is that it was right around then when they had a gradual transition into full-time switching. And they started, you know, only doing it with a handful of, of spots on the floor. And then he said, I think by early March, they were switching one through five. So you need P.J. Tucker. And you need, from last season, you know, Ariza and Mabal Mute. And, you know, and, and that's why the Carmelo thing could be problematic. He makes it harder to switch, you know, like they do. So I'm buying that. I mean, what was funny about talking to D'Antoni about his defense and switching was that when Draymond Green came up, like you might have thought that Draymond played for the Rockets to hear Mike rave about. I, I, I'll be honest, I got to go back and listen to the quote. I think he said to me, that Draymond might be the best defensive player of all time and was just raving about him. And, but, again, that speaks to versatility, switchability, all of those things, and you do. you got to have the right roster to do it. And I think Clint Capella is fabulous. So yeah. the, the idea that teams are trying to emulate what might be the best defensive player of all time, according to Mike D'Antoni, and Clint Capella, mm-hmm. who's just fabulous with their own players because they saw it on television happening in the Western Conference Finals – I just think it's going to be laugh. Right. I think it's going to be laughable. I, I just right. This league, I don't know. There were a bunch of teams that tried to run like the Warriors a few years ago, right? Well, here's here's the other thing that it makes me think about the Jazz, and I keep going back to that because you're with them all the time. It, it, it there's a ripple effect there also on just roster construction. So, what if you you know are you are you going to pass up on the Rudy Gobert's of the world, the, the, whoever that is coming down the pike, you know because of this this uh, this this concept that has taken over the NBA. I mean, that's another part of this, which is, you know, you're going to try to, you can try to build your roster that way. But when you shoot the air ball in the front office and you just simply realize that there aren't that many PJ Tuckers and Draymond Greens and Capellas and all the way down the line, you know, it's been, you've been missed out on, on being able to build a team like the Jazz that just does it differently. Well, I think if you look at it, I don't have the top of my head, but I believe seven of the top 10 defenses in the NBA last year were drop big defenses. Not switching defenses. By the way, to wrap this up, um, P.J. Tucker is 33 years old. Yeah. Just a a note there. I think he's probably fine. He doesn't have as much mileage, but he's 33 years old. He played all all 82 last year, man. I didn't realize that. That that jumped out at me yesterday. All 82. In fact, I think he's – I need to go back and look it up. Like, he's on a heck of a streak. He has not missed a game in a very, very, very long time. But, you know, 33 is 33. And uh, I give him props. He's, he's relatively close. So I'm 41 now. And, and a man at 33 dressing the way he does and, and having that kind of swag, I give him a lot of credit. I, I, I can't do much in that, uh, that territory. I like P.J. Man. He's cool. He, he's cool. And the, he's the only guy, one of the only guys left in the league that everybody else is scared of. Players are scared to play yeah. P.J. Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's the best kind of crazy, like, because he's a, he's, he's a very normal look in the eye, uh, you know, be incredibly intelligent guy in conversation and then get on the floor and look like he just flipped the switch and, and he's not 
afraid of anything. I mean, that's, I kind of enjoyed talking to Draymond about PJ because uh, I've noticed, listen, Draymond's not a, a pup anymore either. You see like the respect he, he enjoys talking, uh, you know, and with high praise of guys that he respects around the league. And, and he was just raving about PJ. So uh, I'm telling you, man, I, this has become a rockets heavy podcast, but um, this is a huge, huge year for them. I mean, I, I don't know what, the landscape looks like in Houston after this year, and I don't think they do either. And you can read it at The Athletic. He'll be coming out shortly. Sam's done that. And you can get The Athletic for 40% off at theathletic.com slash LockedOnNBA. And I just made our whole conversation sound like an ad, so who cares? It is theathletic.com slash LockedOnNBA. Sam will be with us every week on Locked on NBA. so make sure you subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And remember, you can tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on NBA. We also have the new Twitter feed, Locked on NBA. Net, which is a collection of all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one feed, Locked On NBA Net, for you on Twitter.